Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. We begin in 1978 in Saugatuck, a pleasant town in western Michigan. It's a scenic place with plenty to do along the lake. And it's popular with tourists, though maybe less so in the middle of February. That's a time when things should have been quiet. But on February 18, 1978, locals woke up to see a shocking headline printed in the Herald Palladium. Missing student hunted. This was not the kind of story one expected to read in a quiet, off-season resort town. Of course, there were sometimes accidents. People got lost. Perhaps a stray tourist fell in a lake here or there. But missing student hunted would have had a surprisingly ominous ring. But it was true. A young man from a nearby college, a senior named Stephen Kubecki, had come to Saugatuck and he had vanished. Stephen, who was 23, was not from around those parts. Specifically, the Petaskey News wrote that he was raised in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. But he lived locally and went to Hope College in Holland, Michigan, just a little ways north of Sagatuck. On Saturday, February 18, 1978, Stephen was just nine credit hours shy of graduation. That's when he decided to set out on a trip. He told his roommates that he planned to ski along the lake shore. Nothing seemed odd about this particular journey. Stephen had done this before. In fact, based on his personal history, he seemed to like just a little danger. His roommates told reporters that Stephen had gone mountain climbing in Europe, so a meander in or around a frozen lake was comparatively small potatoes. As the day passed by, Stephen's roommates didn't think to worry about him. But things eventually changed because Stephen Kubecki, he didn't come home. 
Local news outlets don't tell us if his roommates alerted Stephen's family when he didn't come back on schedule, or if they assumed he'd headed off on another adventure and would turn up later in the week. But we do know that on Monday, February 24th, Michigan state troopers came knocking at their door. As Herald Palladium reporters told it, earlier in the day, locals on snowmobiles had come across skis and a backpack near the frozen lake. Inside the backpack was Stephen Kubecki's ID. Perhaps that wouldn't have been concerning on its own, but there were also, quote, footprints leading to the offshore ice. It seemed that Stephen Kubecki had ventured out onto the lake. After 200 yards, his footprints just stopped. There was no hole in the ice and no trace of Stephen anywhere on the lake. Although the initial alert lagged by two days, when it came, the search swung into immediate action. The Petoskey News Review reported that state troopers searched the ground. They scoured it for, quote, cracks and crevices in the mounds of ice. The Coast Guard was brought in to perform an aerial search by helicopter, and Stephen's friends and family joined in as well. But there was nothing more to discover. It seemed that the lake had taken him. Though it wasn't discussed until later, investigators figured that they wouldn't find the college student, that is, his body, until the first real thaw. Authorities told reporters, quote, we fear the worst right now. But when spring came, there was still no sign of Stephen Kubecki. So he was memorialized in quiet ways, treated as not precisely dead, but not alive either. Hope College presented him with a degree in absentia, and he was declared a German major because he had the most credits in that subject. After that announcement, there was scant mention of Stephen in the press, local or otherwise, for 15 months. In that time, his parents didn't give up. Per the Associated Press, the Kubeki spent considerable money employing PIs to help find their son. What they thought might be found, we don't know. Perhaps they didn't either, but that didn't stop them from looking. As far as the media was concerned, though, Stephen Kubecki was old news. Outlets no longer reported on him, even as the police followed leads, even when that news was tantalizing. For example, Michigan police eventually contacted the investigators who were working the case of serial killer John Wayne Gacy. Eventually, Michigan would send a set of Stephen's dental impressions to be cross-referenced with the dozens of skeletons that had been buried under Gacy's house. It was a long shot, but what else was there to do? Gacy had been active when Stephen went missing, and Michigan is only a few hours away from Illinois, where Gacy lived. But there was no match. It seemed that Stephen had just disappeared, out there in the snow or under the ice. No one could say for sure. And the media coverage remained sparse. That is, until May of 1979, when outlets as far-flung as Hawaii picked up Stephen's story. Newspapers in nearly every state were suddenly reporting on his cold case. Because, after more than a year, Stephen had come home. He'd showed up in Deerfield, Massachusetts, where he'd managed to make it after getting in touch with an aunt. As you might imagine, his parents were shocked. Stephen's father, John Kubecki, told reporters, quote, I'm choked. I'm very happy. I just don't know what to say. 
Stephen's return was one of those rare cases where everything turns out all right. The kind we hope for but almost never see. And that would have been the end of Stephen Kubecki's story. Except for one strange thing. You see, Stephen Kubecki had no idea where he'd been. The last 15 months of his life were blank. In fact, his father told reporters Stephen had no idea that much time had passed at all. When he turned up in Deerfield, he thought it was still 1978. As the world's premier streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural content, Shudder is spooky 24-7, 365. But they like to be a little extra for Halloween. And this year, they're going all out by turning the normal 31 days of Halloween into the 61 days of Halloween, a two-month celebration of their favorite season, featuring weekly original and exclusive movie premieres like H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space, starring Nicolas Cage, the second season of AMC's Nosferatu, Glenn Danzig's Veronica, Scare Me, starring Aya Cash, Josh Rubin, and Chris Redd, and 61 days of daily recommendations from Shudder curator Sam Zimmerman. At One Strange Thing, we can't wait for the October 29th release of May the Devil Take You 2, the sequel to Timo Chianto's May the Devil Take You. We just finished the Shudder exclusive Spiral, which was totally chilling. Up next for us is the October 8th release of The Cleansing Hour. And there's something for every horror lover on Shudder, from mysterious to campy to downright terrifying. There are new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added weekly. And you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing human-curated selection of thrilling, dangerous entertainment. We like to think of it as the Netflix of horror. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including iPhones, Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, and much more. Get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes titles like the acclaimed Tigers Are Not Afraid, One Cut of the Dead, Revenge, and the Creepshow TV series, produced by Greg Nicotero and based on the famous films by George Romero. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R, and use promo code STRANGE. That's Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R, and use promo code STRANGE. On May 5th, Stephen had shown up at his aunt's house in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, about 750 miles from the Lake Michigan shoreline where he disappeared. Stephen's aunt, June, told Berkshire Eagle reporters that she'd been over at a neighbor's house that evening. From that vantage point, she'd noticed a figure walking up to her front door. She recalled that she'd said to her friend, quote, that looks like my nephew. She told reporters, quote, Then he turned around and I shouted, That is my nephew. She ran out into the street to meet him. Stephen seemed to be in good physical health, but he told June that he was suffering from amnesia. 
that he'd only just begun to remember bits and pieces of his past. His clearest memories began that morning. According to the Associated Press, Stephen had woken up in a rural area of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, about 30 minutes or so outside of his hometown of Deerfield. In what was perhaps a nod to Rip Van Winkle, the AP describes the area as a grassy knoll. And that wasn't all. According to Stephen, he didn't recognize the items that he was wearing, which included glasses, a backpack, and a t-shirt for a Wisconsin marathon. And when he searched his pockets, he found $40 in cash. The backpack was full of trinkets from many American cities like Chicago and Reno and San Francisco. Now, at this point, Stephen's story varies slightly from paper to paper. One version has Stephen hitchhiking to his aunt's house. Another has him remembering things more gradually, stopping a passerby, then seeing a newspaper, only to be confused by the date. But they all arrive in the same place. Stephen back at home with his family and insisting that he had no idea where he'd been or what all the fuss was about. He told the Associated Press, quote, I was confused by all the hugging and kissing. I didn't feel like I'd been gone for that long, but I'm beginning to understand. Aside from losing a little weight, it seemed that Stephen was no worse for wear. The same couldn't be said, though, for his family. Stephen said, quote, My parents never believed I was dead. I'm amazed learning about all the money they spent looking for me. He said he'd have to spend the next few months figuring out where he'd been. But his mother, Irene, said that she didn't need to know where Stephen had been, just as long as she had him home. It was a lovely sentiment, but the public's view was shifting and it didn't take long for coverage of the happy reunion to turn more cynical. An AP headline from May 8th read, Doubt Cast on Student's Story. It seems that, while Stephen had hitchhiked to his aunt's house, the man he rode with had heard an entirely different story. Or so he claimed. The driver, another local student, said that he picked up a man who looked very much like Stephen, his hitchhiker, who, like Stephen, was heading from Pittsfield to Great Barrington, had introduced himself as Nathan. There was no story of waking up in a field or of any confusion. Instead, this Nathan told the driver that, quote, he wanted to visit a friend with news of someone who had been missing for a long time. This Nathan told the driver that he'd been in San Francisco and then, quote, taken the bus to Boston. An Eagle article published the same day added that the two men had chatted about the price differences in the Northeast and the West and what it was like to hitchhike in San Francisco. This driver told reporters that he'd come forward after hearing about Stephen in a local news report. The driver told the paper, rather cryptically, that, quote, whatever the outcome of this is, it's not going to be an easy thing for him to go through. And maybe the driver was right. But Stephen stuck to his story, or rather, to his lack of a story. He insisted his memory was blank, telling reporters that, quote, I felt like it was the Twilight Zone or science fiction, where all of a sudden people are misplaced in a strange land. In the Boston Globe, medical professionals weighed in on the case, calling this kind of amnesia quite rare. It could only have been caused by an intense trauma. What could that have been? They didn't know, 
And Stephen wouldn't or couldn't offer any insight. And so life went on. Stephen's mother, Irene, told the Globe that she didn't care if her son's story was inconsistent. She said, quote, I am just so glad to have him back. My whole world has turned around. According to a Boston Globe article from June of 79, Stephen was living with his father in Deerfield. He still hadn't remembered anything substantial at that time. In fact, he decided that he no longer wanted to figure out where he'd been. According to the article, he spent his time running, writing poetry, and preparing to re-enter college. Because it turns out that the degree granted in absentia, it had been honorary. So Stephen wasn't a degree holder after all. Whether or not he remembered the events of those missing months, it seems his lost year had caught up with him. Ultimately, Stephen Kubecki's story ended well, if a happy conclusion can include a few extra semesters in college. However, Stephen Kubecki might have gotten off easy. There were other people whose stories hadn't had happy endings and who wouldn't be so lucky. You see, that area where Stephen went missing, some call it the Lake Michigan Triangle. Records suggest that dozens of people have disappeared there since the 19th century. Numbers that could rival the much more famous Bermuda Triangle. So maybe, just maybe, Stephen Kubecki's trip is a little less explainable than we'd like to think. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll find monthly, full-length bonus episodes and exclusive blog posts about mysteries that we don't cover on the show. Plus, you can listen to our regular episodes just a little early and always ad-free. Now, please stay tuned for a moment to hear a promo from one of our favorite shows. We hope that you'll give them a listen. Serial killers, strange disappearances, unsolved mysteries, survivor stories. I'm Nate Hale, and in each episode of my show, The Conspirators, I dig deep and tell you the stories from history your teacher never told you. I tell you about all things strange and bizarre. And what's scariest of all? These things really happened. If you're interested in creepy history, you can find The Conspirators on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, as well as your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.